What's up, DJ NT? How are you? What's up, DJ Lady Ginger Face? I am fine. I just got back from like a weekend little trip. Me and my lady took off just for a day to go down the one and to Santa Cruz and hang out. Oh, yeah? Just for the day? Yeah, we just were going for a drive and then we're just like, fuck it, let's just stay in Santa Cruz for the night and hang out. Aw, that's so romantic. You guys are so romantical. By the way, what's up with the haircut? What is up with the haircut? It's amazing. It like, it stunned me. Does it go like this too? It like sticks up on the top like that? It stunned me when I saw it. You haven't even seen me with my stunner shades on. They're awesome. Dude, stunner haircut and stunner shades. I don't know, man. Yep. (sighs) Fucking A. Super stunts. Super stunts. Okay, so I'm going to talk. Uh, let's talk about how. Yeah. I mean, we've known each other for, I don't know what, like, how long? Like 15 years? No. 10 years. How old are you? I'm 33. So that would be 16 years. Are you serious? Yeah. Holy crap. That's a long time. Yeah, for a very long time. So when I first met you, you were living in Santa Barbara. Yep. You were one of the first people that I ever saw digging for records. I mean, I've always been in love with music, but like, I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) What was I doing? I think you had no shoes on no shirt on <laughs> <laughs> or no your shirt was wrapped around your neck like superman there we go there we go that's not like it did i have my skateboard no i think you had some records under your arm oh, and nice. yeah <laughs> well, what's up what's up so galita so isla vista so your your family lived in galita and yeah. you you kind of grew up around isla vista in Isla Vista, yeah, totally born and raised. In Isla Vista, born and raised. So, but where did where did your parents come from? How did they get there? How did they get to Isla Vista? So they saw uh, um, that it was the only place along the coast that wasn't foggy or smoggy. Huh, it's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. So then they always said we need to find that place at some point. And after they moved from San Francisco in like the early seventies, um, they found it. Then my dad started going to the college there. He went to uh, UCSB? Yeah. What did he they study? I don't know, like anthropology or something. Can't remember. And then remember. and then your mom, she has always done ceramics and stuff like that? Yeah, she was always creative. She'd always like do art with us when we were kids. She's always done pottery. So I've always been around that like my whole life. And yeah. then, and then, what about their music collection? Like, what? Um, it was what? Just this 
your typical hippie parents music collection. It was like a crate or two of just like rock, like all the rock records, you know, what you could think of. Cool stuff. You know, once you, you found it and you re-listened to it, you found some cool things. The surrealistic pillow and, you know. Did you have access to the um, to the crates of records? Was it like anybody? We didn't, we didn't have a record player until, let's see. We didn't have a record player until maybe I was, I was 13 maybe or something. And so before that, it was like, like just me listening on the radio and like making recordings on my tape cassette player. Oh, maybe we did. I think we did have a record player when I was younger. I remember the first record my mom got me. It was a Monty Python record. She was like, here, you're going to like this. You know, and I fucking totally did. I was like, what, nine or 10 or something, maybe 11. She like got it at a yard sale in this apartment complex we lived at. She's like, here, you know, you're going to like this. And I was like, oh, you know, I was like so stoked. And once I did listen to it, it was like so red. I got totally obsessed. Those were that was my first record, and the first records that I would like look for was Monty Python stuff. And my mom would kept on giving me getting me more of them too. She'd find other ones at other yard sales and give me more Monty Python records. I remember I used to do this thing, not just with Monty Python records, but also I don't remember what music. Maybe it was like South American music or something, where I would lie down in the living room and I'd pull the speaker like away from the wall and pull the other speaker away from the roll and make just enough room in between to fit my head. So I would lie down with like both the speakers like next to me and I would just close my eyes and like listen to like I don't know or music or something and it's so funny because we had this big living room at that time and i can imagine me just like lying there like in between like, you know what are you doing and, like not hearing anything oh my gosh that is so brilliant <laughs> yeah those are really good headphones they were huge <laughs> i think i think those are the biggest headphones that have ever existed yeah totally they were enormous and they sounded great and what's up with your your dad's influence um, on your music, love? I don't know. He loved the rock and roll. He'd tell stories about when he was a kid. When he was a teenager in high school, they would go do, like, um, Jitterbug. He'd go to, because he grew up in the South, and they would go party at, uh, what do you call them? Like, I don't remember, like, juke joints or something, or... Something he'd go hang out with the black folk in the South and go dance. And they'd trip out for a while because it would be like, you know, a handful of white kids coming out to their parties. And, but they kind of didn't care after a while. Because he said he used to love dancing and he could like, you know, swing the girl around like do, what do you call it? Like jitterbug stuff. Yeah, jitterbug. Yeah. And I don't know. He just loved rock and roll. Turn it up. He'd always turn it up. He was kind of hard hearing. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd always turn it up really loud but that in totally influenced me i'm not hard of hearing i have like too acute hearing but i still turn it up <laughs> so tell me tell me this a story the story of your childhood memory of music touching you in a way that blew your mind that made you be like this is this is my mission in life is to find good music oh man i don't know 
could be like the world music my parents played touching me like touching me intimately um yeah there was just something about the music my mom would play from south america that's where she's from um that was just so beautiful and amazing and i never heard anything like it and on the radio and on tv and on everywhere else there was nothing else like it so you heard all this music from like mainstream media even like not mainstream media um and then my mom would play something that was just amazing that you just never heard anywhere else and i think that probably touched me really young as a kid where I was just like, well, you know, like into this, I could like feel, feel it, it totally get like evokes emotion in me still to this day, listening to South American music. Um, what region of South America is your mom from? She's from the Andes. So she's from Bolivia, which is like in the heart of the Andes. Have you ever been there? I went there when I was a, um, a teenager. I think I was 18 or 19 and went for like a month and hung out with the fam all over the place. It was really, really amazing. Everybody's really nice, super beautiful. Was it kind of like a culture shock to know that that's where your peeps are from, but to totally like not speak the language, et cetera? Yeah, not speaking the language was tough. Um, there was a moment, though, um, that I, there was a few moments, which was really amazing. I went, we went out dancing with some cousins of mine, and they took me to this party in like a big like a ballroom and like they're just playing crappy music. But I remember at one point I went to go get a beer or something and I was standing and looking at all the people and I was like, like everybody looks like me. Like everybody in there has black hair and brown skin. And it was like a moment when I was like, wow, you know, I've never been in this situation before in my life. I'm always like the odd man out, you know, or usually. Well, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> especially growing up in Santa Barbara where it's, um, yeah. it's a very kind of um, homogenized, homogenized situation. Well, at least what was cool growing up in IV, it was the college town and like my grade school was like really proud of their multiculturalism. Awesome. Back then there was all the um, refugees from the Vietnam War. So I grew up with a bunch of Laotians and Hmong. And then there was, you know, a lot of the kids whose parents worked in like the fields up north a little bit. So I grew up, you know, with a with a really diverse group of friends. You know, I had a friend like a family that I was really close to who was from the Sudan. You know, we were like best friends. And it was weird. So it was like there was a lot of sort of outsider kids. And my my closest friends who I've known forever, they were all like, you know, had white moms and Mexican dads. So like all my friends were, we were all mixed for most of my life, which was really great, you know? But yeah, it was one of those things, you know, but being in South America and seeing that, it was like, wow, there's only been a few of those moments. One of them was up in the Bay, which was one of the reasons why I want to live up here. When I, I think, I don't know, you might've been there too. We all went out to like 111 Mina before it got really big. And there was like some hip hop show. And I was like, oh man, like, like I looked around and it wasn't everybody looked like me, like skin tone and race, but it was like everybody looked like me as in like we're into the same shit, you know, like we dress sort of the same and like appreciate sort of the same things, which is that was rare in Santa Barbara also, you know. Yeah, I remember like one of the reasons why I wanted to be your friend was like you were one of thousands of people that looked the same. You were one <clears throat> different looking human being, you know. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's mullet too. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but you know in in the bay area when you're just first starting to crack into that scene it is so refreshing to see the diversity yeah totally it really is so so after after kind of getting influenced by the bolivian music south american music from your mom the turning yeah. it up from your dad what what was the next step for you? Like, when did you first realize that you could begin to collect your own music? Hmm, I don't know. What started this fascination? I used to record stuff off the radio all the time. All the time. I'd make pause tapes off the radio all the damn time. And so I'd always, I'd even like record stuff. I'd like leave it recording and leave it around and listen to it. Like I'd make all these weird tapes. I don't know where they are. My mom might have got rid of them. I know she regrets it because she remembers like some of the weird tapes I would make of just like like I'd run around with this little portable tape cassette pair and like record all these things, <laughs> or like me like making sounds and like banging on things and like beatboxing and stuff. I wonder where they are. I probably just recorded over them and over them and over them again. You until know, until they until they were useless. <laughs> yeah, totally. I found that one. That one tape in a shoebox under my bed at my parents house of that radio show one of yours that we did at uh, Casey. remember that I didn't rem I give you a copy of that you know I have I found one of the tapes we made that was the tribute to Lafura show and yeah it was you and me and there was probably like 15 people in the studio that night yeah that was emo time yeah but I mean that I mean those times as like a collection were so incredible. Like KCSB had it going on. Yeah. I, I mean, and that must have influenced you too, right? Oh, totally. Right off the bat. That was what introduced me to rap music when I was eight years old. <laughs> Not five or six? I can't remember. I was in third grade. So that would make me, yeah, like eight, eight or nine. Oh, 1980-something. So, like, right at the beginning. Like, really close to the beginning, you know, in the early 80s. So, yeah. So, that would be, like, 84. So, college radio, KCSB, would play yeah. rap music? Like, how did they get away with that? On Fridays, it was, like, rap, rap night. So, they would play all kinds of the rap stuff and probably a bunch of freestyle stuff. I remember a friend of mine... Uh, Michael Rooley who introduced me in third grade. We were walking home across this field. And I think he said, like, you know, do you listen to Casey's B on Fridays? You know, or do you listen to rap music or something? You know, and me, I'm like, what's that? And he's like, it's the greatest. And then he, like, said some rhyme. Some, like, public enemy rhyme or something like that, or KRS-One. And so he, like, he loved KRS-One, and I loved KRS-One. But we listened to all that stuff. And then I think he probably got me my first rap album, which was a tape, which was Sir Mix-a-Lot Swass in 1980-whatever. It was for my birthday. I remember that. That's a good first tape. It is. I fucking love that record. To this day, I love that. I still will play that trip. My posse's on right away. That shit's so good. Everybody's like, oh, Sir Mix-a-Lot, like, my baby's got back. And I'm like, no, no. No, no, no. Gotta go earlier. And then I think he probably gave me my next 
I know. I, I think I probably recorded like the NWA straight out of Compton from him or something like that too. Ooh, I remember me and him went in on an NWA straight out of Compton <laughs> tape for this one Christian kid who was in our class. <laughs> it was the it was the you know the beeped version or whatever. You it guys was, collaborated on paying for it for him. Yeah. And it was hilarious. I think that kid's parents fucking destroyed that shit right away. We're like, here, this is the awesomest. We don't, you know, we're giving gangster rap to some like <laughs> fucking adolescent kid whose parents were hella conservative. I wonder how long that lasted. Hopefully he didn't get grounded because of that. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where that dude is now. He's probably Macklemore. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, totally. <laughs> oh, that guy's everywhere. I know. So, okay, so mixtapes off of KCSB and other mm. radio stuff, and Michael Ruley hooked you up with hip hop knowledge, and then and then where'd you yeah. take it all? Where'd you go from there? Like like early teens. Oh, early teens, it was more just like radio stuff too, listening to what's on there. I think I stayed in contact with KCSB throughout my whole life of being in Goleta. Michael really ended up getting a radio show there um, in the late 80s, early 90s, because, God, how old were we? I feel like we were in junior high and he had a radio show playing punk rock on KCSB, like... 11 well, to 12 or like he had the like late 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 night and i don't know why his mom was just so down with it i remember like he had like the two to four slot or something you know and i remember being there from two to four at cases b and there's like three of us in there and we're kids we're like barely teenagers you know and i remember walking home and the sun's coming up and we walk by the foot patrol like the police station iv and they were just like kind of double taking us like what are you guys doing you know like Sunrise. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> that was trippy. Just made a radio show. <laughs> yeah, but definitely stay in contact with rap music, you know, forever, you know, in through to the mid 90s, you know, through the golden era stuff. But um, there was great radio shows on KCSB. There was like the old school show, which was like all the Ra Ramos Jr. and Ra Ramos Sr., and they play all the gangster stuff like Batos, they loved punk music from the 80s. <laughs> and so I didn't understand it. Like, I don't know. We call it boogie funk now, which is really what I'm really into these days. But back then it was super rad because all the Batos would call in, you know, and be like, hey, like, play like, you know, I'm your puppet or like play all these other songs and it'd just be super funky. And I listened to that. There was house music on the radio. I was always just trying to, actually, that's, I always try to acquire new music or just be up on new stuff. I just need to consume. I'm like addicted to media, which is a problem these days with the internet. But music is really what started that. What about what, what about people too? Like, I mean, there's so many people coming in and out of that college. Yeah, that was a great thing of growing up in a college town was that there were so many different influences and so many young people excited about new things. And up on subcultures, you know, or just up on fucking cool shit. Always. So it was just weird. I was influenced, like, all the weird stuff as a kid. Good thing I'm, like, you know, capable. 
Because <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I lost a lot of friends to like, you know, drugs and stuff. Yeah. Because it was just all, everything was there and it was just so exciting. You know, like Michael Rooley, I almost lost him to drugs or he almost lost his self to drugs. You know, it was really bad where I, at one point I was like, I'm never going to see him again. You know, I just thought he might have died. And then I ran into him like years, years later in my like, in my late 20s, just ran into him. And it was like after not seeing him for a long time, maybe 10 years, seven years. And it was like, holy shit. And we became friends again. And we're totally friends to this day. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, that was. So when did you first, um, like, start collecting records and um, touching the turntables? Like, physically, like, was it at some show in Isla Vista or something? Somebody let you up or what? That um, It was at Rob One's house. When I met Rob and Nelson and Koji. Oh, um, yeah. I actually had friends before that. We were all under, like, rap music in, you know, the early to mid-90s. But I didn't really have access to it. I didn't have, like, money. Like, you know, I've always been pretty poor, so I couldn't really afford a lot of records. I think I might have collected some records at that point. But it was really um, meeting Rob. And in his room, he had, like, they weren't 1200s or anything. They were just direct drive, like, turntables. And I was like, holy shit, like, I have a direct drive turntable at home. Like, all I need to do is get another one like it doesn't cost a lot of money i could find one at a thrift store or like at a yard sale for like 15 bucks and all i need is like some slip mats a mixer and you know hopefully find some right needles and so i totally just on a budget like got some turntables that were like super shitty but i like you know i remember the one of the turntables i got it had like an automatic return when the needle would get to the center it would like lift up and go back and sit down totally and so i'd be mixing or like trying to mix and it would like totally get close to the center and like lift up and move over and I would be like, you know, so frustrated. So I ended up like taking it apart and taking that whole mechanism out and putting it back together so it wouldn't do that. Dang, MacGyver. Yeah, so I made it happen. And then like, where did I get my mixer? I think the first mixer I got was a Scratchmaster. What is it, like a new marker, a Gemini Scratchmaster. You know, it's a total hand-me-down. I think I got it from Koji, who got it from another person. And then it's the same thing. I totally handed it down to another friend. And it's like, that makes her was red. God, maybe I got it from Nelson or something like that. It was one of those things. It's like, okay, here you go. Okay, here you go. Okay, oh, you're just starting? Here you go. You can have this. You know, this is how you start. Passing yeah. it down. The beginnings. The beginnings always have to start somewhere, especially when you're a broke teenager. Totally. And it's always, I don't know, I love that kind of aspect of it. Of, you know, like, oh, you need this? Totally. It's yours. You know, I upgraded it a long time ago. I was just holding on to it nostal nostalgically. <laughs> I actually have a Scratchmaster downstairs. Where did I get it? I think I got it. I got it from a friend or like, you know, somebody was getting rid of it. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I will take this. And so that's the one sometimes whenever I'll take it to like a minimal mobile gig or something like that i'll take that mixer with me or like lend it out to friends if they need it yeah <laughs> okay okay so 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 that's where it all started with some friends just kind of um having yeah. equipment letting you know it was all available and then what was the next step like where'd you well, go they let 
he let me touch it. That was one of the rad things. <laughs> super rad with his stuff. You know, he had all this like, he was like introduced me to Mo Wax and all the down tempo stuff. And it was just straight beats. It was like hip hop beats without the MCs, which is always, always, always attracted to the, to the beats and the production more than like the rappers themselves. And so it was really rad. And then he would let me play with his stuff. And I would like, we started scratching, you know, we practiced scratching. And then like all that music, all the early Ninja Tune stuff and the Moak stuff. And then not soon after that, like maybe a year or two, I got a job at the record store in IV. And then that's kind of where, before that, I was still buying records. I would still buy like, you know, I would try to find the funk records. I would buy some of the hip hop 12 inches if I could afford them. You know, and that's kind of really when I started digging, when I met those guys. Because then we would go out. I had somebody to do it with. It was a happening. Yeah. So it would be like, what's up, dudes? And then it would be like on a weekend or something like that. And that was what we do. It was like we didn't even talk about it. It wouldn't be like, hey, what are we doing? It's just like, that's what we did. We'd go get burritos and go dig and then go back to the pad and then listen to the records. And then that continued for years until those dudes graduated, I guess. And then what and then what happened with you? What did you do? Because oh. I mean you're still living in this college town. They graduate. Yeah. Did, I were, just kept going. You just kept collecting? Did you did you start like actually DJing out at shows and stuff at that point? Yeah, we started DJing. When was that? That was a long time ago. We'd DJ parties. We would throw parties. Me and all those dudes. We'd well, throw house parties. A bunch of them stuck around after they graduated because um, yeah. I remember Toby, his family had a house there. So yeah. a bunch of like Nelson and um, then our friend Manabu also lived there who collected records and yeah. um and there was there was still this pool in Santa Barbara. Um, yeah, I think Rob moved up here and kept it going. Um, yeah, and then all those dudes around. I don't know. I can't really remember it super clearly at this time. But everybody just kind of, I guess, kept it going. A lot of people moved off. I don't know if Toby digs too much anymore. I ran into Rob recently, and he started digging again. He got a divorce and like moved out, and now he's just living the dream. <laughs> he started DJing again. He's DJing, which is really rad. It seems like he was super stoked. Um, but yeah, I yeah, seen- he's always had really good taste in music, and he's always come at DJing and collecting from like a like a collector's perspective of like getting yeah. really rare mint thing, mint condition records. Yeah. He always kind of had a little bit of an ego about it, too. Which is important well, when you're collecting. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah a, totally. to an extent. Yeah. He kind of had a cooler than thou thing, which a lot of people do. And that was always actually one of the problems, and it still is. To this day, out DJing and meeting people. Um, a lot of times they'll meet super cool people who are down because they're you know around your age and they're still doing it. They're still doing that thing. But... Um, Sometimes people need you to like prove your hip hop credentials and stuff. And it's kind of just like, come on, dude. What like, do you do I, need, do I need to drive a scion to like prove how hip hop I am? Like that's You need to drink <laughs> Sprite. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Red Bull. Not gonna happen. That's so, one of the things is too. When I because after working at that record store, one of my earlier jobs, you know, in my 
late teens. Ever since then, I've worked at record stores. It's been like my easy shoe-in job. Even so, when I was working at Amoeba up here, which is one of the biggest record stores in the world, I ended up being like the hip-hop dude because I knew all that stuff since I was young. So I had an, I knew all the old stuff. I never, you know, I've never really been in the mainstream or like a lot of the new shit, but I knew all the old stuff, which was still the majority. And that was always a funny thing because people would be like, let me talk to your hip hop guy. They'd come in to like sell some of their hip hop CDs or whatever, or, you know, anything. And, and they'd be like, let me talk to your hip hop guy. And they'd get me and they'd be like, no, really? And you'd be like, no, really? Like I am the fucking hip hop dude. Like <laughs> what's your problem? And you know, I didn't have that talk. Or that walk, and I didn't have my fucking cool hip hop jeans on and my oversized, you know, jersey. I don't know. I didn't wear Nikes. You weren't portraying the stereotype of the hip hop guy. No, I was not fucking around at all. I was actually trying to push people's like boundaries. You know, if you're open and you're down, we can talk about it. You know, let's talk about it because I love. Fucking playing the name game in regards to music. Yeah, what's that? What's that game that um, you were telling me about, where you just like see a little bit of a album <laughs> or something? What do you do? So since I've been working a record store so long, I've seen everything because I'd have to file stuff. So I'd, you know, put this away, put that away, put that away. Like all kinds of music and digging in thrift stores. You know, you're just seeing all the detritus, all the fucking garbage that nobody wanted. And so I can just identify like so many albums just by seeing a tiny corner of the cover or like a quick flash. I like know what it is. Sometimes I might not even remember exactly what the name is, but I'm like, I know that album. I've seen it 8,000 times. It's crazy. But my brain just kind of works like that. It's like super good at pattern recognition. So it's almost photographic of sorts? Not really, because I can't, like, I can't remember the names usually. I have a problem with, like, name recall or, like, like I don't know. It's really weird. I'll, like, be like, ah, I know what that is. And then, like, the name's there, but I can't grab it. It's a weird thing. You're all, let me draw a picture of it. <laughs> totally. I'll totally beat around the bush. I'll play the beat around the bush game. I'll be like, sounds like Schmarglafar. It has an X. It has an X in it, an H, an H. You know, like it's red. I know he dated this one woman. His dog's name is Pluto. You know, I'll like know all this stupid information about artists, but I can't remember what the fuck their name is. <laughs> He's got brown hair. He drives a car. Yeah. Oh, man, that's good. I, it doesn't matter, though, you know, especially like with music, if you know, if you know the beats good. And that's what I've always appreciated about you is you have a very eclectic taste. Like when I yeah. hear a mixtape of yours, I don't even have to know it's from you. I know it's yours because you there's sounds that you look for when you dig. Like, how do you what? How do you do that? I don't know. That's one of those things. It's like, that's just what I like. Like, I don't. What is it? Explain what it is. How does it make you feel? What does it make me feel? Um, it's well, that kind of goes back to that same thing. It's like me always looking for a new stuff. Um, so there's those albums and those artists that stick around. But sometimes it's like in a year or two, it's like, you know, 
this doesn't sound as good as it did at that time. Um, I don't know what it is. There's something about music I can just listen to a little bit, just like the, the recall of like the album covers. Like I can just hear the beginning of a song and be like, no, you know, no, no, no. And I'm usually right. I can just hear a snippet and be like, no, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. Oh, I like that. You know, but there are those times. There are those times when I like have to, when I like give it some time and then I'm like, oh man, this is really good. At first I was like, no, I don't like this. But then I listened to it some more and it's super, super good. Or certain albums like that. I don't remember. But yeah, there's songs like that too. So so now now when you're digging for records, I mean you have a massive record collection. You have you have records yeah. back in Santa Barbara at your mom's house. Not really anymore. Oh, I've really? got a lot of them. Yeah. Good. I kind of build I've built her collection up. So when I'm down there, I'm out I go digging all the time. Anywhere I am, I try to go digging no matter what. Um but has yeah, it I always built, been like that? It kinda has been. Ever always. I can't help it, you know. I just kind of have to do it I, on this weekend. I didn't do it as much as I wanted to, but that was like, I'm out with my lady. We're trying to be romantic and stuff. I'm not going to be like, peace. You know, <laughs> I want to go dig in here for a couple hours. You know, she would have let me cause she loves me, but you know, I kind of, sometimes you got to be like, you know, Hey monkey, get off my back. <laughs> I got to go get romantic. <laughs> But um, oh, that's good. So you, so you built instead of having your own collection at your mom's house, you built her a world music yeah. collection. Totally, her world music. Anything she kind of likes, or you know, I I put you know, like a rock and roll, like a ton of rock and roll stuff there. But that you know, that was kind of for my dad. But my dad's not around anymore. Um, but my mom, she plays some stuff. She plays. I've built her a really good Andean music section. There's like a ton there. Like, you know, a huge collection of it and other stuff. I'll like be like, here, you know, play this. I'll dig for things because I'll, I'll dig and try to find those weird, obscure things. So, I'll, you know, I'll pick up that random like Mexican record or whatever, you know, and she likes some of that stuff, too, because it's, you know, the, from the 60s or the 70s. And so I'll leave that there and she'll listen to it. And yeah. I don't know. My collection is just huge and eclectic. It's too big. Where? How, I mean, how big is it? How many thousands records? Of, I don't know. There's over 3,000. I haven't counted or even got a guesstimation in, a, in years. But there's too many because I, I buy records all the time. After last time, after we talked, I went digging. <laughs> I totally, it was like raining out. And I, um, I went for a walk. And like went by this one spot and like grabbed a grip of records, you know, and there's only, you know, out of a grip of records, there's this many that are good. Wow. So there's some other good ones in there, but like, yeah. I so you're saying so like far. out of four inches of records, like, yeah, like maybe three are good. Okay, here, let's hold on. <laughs> because we're on the radio here, Inti, so we can't really have a visual of what you're talking about. All right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, breaking it down from a digger's perspective. Breaking it down. All right, out of this many records. <laughs> <laughs> We're still on the radio. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Out of sixteen records, 
I am probably going to keep and maybe even get rid of them later. I just need to sit down with them more for records. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. So you're like in a constant flux. Yeah. But it's not even really a flux. It's just absorbing more and more. But at least now I have like a space for these records where I'm trying to like build up crates to sell them. So I like went through my collection and I tried to pull all the things like, okay, I never play this. I will probably rarely play this. Or it's like I have this two LP set and there's one song I really like on here. And it's like, I can't do that. You know, I need to make space for all all the new awesome records. <laughs> Who's that guy? He's holding up a record right now of... Howard Johnson. <laughs> it's some boogie funk stuff. So it's like early 80s. So tell me about this boogie funk thing that you've mentioned a couple of times now. You're really into it. And what what is it? Like, what's the influence? <laughs> it's so funny. When I was a kid, um, we were all into the rap stuff. And me and like a handful of friends. And so we'd go out like, you know... We'd watch the rap movies. We saw Breaking, you know, in the movie theaters. I saw Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo in the movie theaters. Um, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, we saw all that stuff. And I remember in those movies, um, they would play these. It was music at that time. It was early 80s. So they played the funk music and all this music that influenced hip hop. It was like those breaks those dudes would find was mostly like 80s breaks. You know, those first DJs would play these records because there was always these big breakdowns in there. It was like these dance songs that were like seven minute long. And so there'd be these breakdowns of just instrumental sections. And so there'd be like, you know, usually a, maybe a drum break and then like a drum break with some, you know, some percussion on it. And then those are the first records that the early hip hop dudes would use for the parties. They would beat juggle those and that turned into rap music. Or that turned into hip hop, and um, and they'd play some of these funk records in those movies when I was a kid, and I would always be like, I don't want to hear this. All I want to hear is rap. You know, I don't want this at all. And then over time, it's like that turned into all I wanted to hear. You know, when I was a kid, it was like, no, I hate this. And then now that I'm older, it's like, oh, that's all I want. Like, I'm so cheesy now. This music's so cheesy. Yeah, but I think the older you get, the more you realize that that's where the meat is. Is, yeah. like, in the, the full in the length. Cheese. In the cheese. The meat's in the cheese, y'all. Yeah. The older you get, the cheesier I get. That's what I tell people. And people resonate with that. Like, I don't know. Do you find that when you play these records, maybe it takes them a drink or two, but people start who were cool when they walked in the bar start to some loosen up? Some people, some people get it. A lot of people don't. But then it's crazy because like, oh man, this happens to me all the time, which might sound sort of egotistical, but it's like, I hear this music more like in the becoming into the mainstream. Like I see DJs playing this now. You know, I hear DJs playing these records now. And it's for a long time, there wasn't really, there was a few people and it was like, you know, oh, that guy, I see you or like, you know, I hate, I dig what you're doing. You had like a underground collective of boogie funkers. No, I came into it a little late, but there's some dudes up here in the Bay who have always rocked it. Like there's dudes in LA who have always like the, the, the Vato gangster scene. Those guys have always loved early eighties funk music. And so now 
those guys, it's like, it's gone full circle <laughs> where it's like, you weren't cool anymore. You weren't cool. Oh God, you're so cool right now. They're still like totally living in it. It's red. I'm friends with those dudes on Facebook and they're like, those guys are red. Yeah. They've gone around. They went like on a European trip. It was like total like East LA dudes, you know, neck tattoos and stuff. But they love funk music. And they went on a trip to like Europe, to like through Germany and through Russia and stuff like that, playing the funk music. Because there's dudes out there who totally love it too. And that's funny. Who are these guys that you're friends with on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> the funk freaks. <laughs> There's totally, I don't know. It reminds me of that stuff when I was a kid. It was like all the vatos listen to old school. They call it old school. Yeah. And so those, yeah. So you just give on. it 20 years and you'll be relevant again, right? Is yeah, that the theme? I'll probably be into something else. Yeah. You know? Well, the thing oh. with you, Inti, as I've always noticed, is you're so true to your own game. You're not like a trend follower by nature, and it yeah. shows in your music. And I swear, you were like a Bay Area hipster when you were like when I first <laughs> when I first met you in Santa Barbara with no shirt on, and, and you, <laughs> you moved up to the Bay Area, and it was like they had they had a messiah <laughs> yeah right <laughs> they were like i've always wanted to grow a beard but i've never had the guts <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. i've always wanted to be lazy and not shave <laughs> but now it's relevant and I, was, I was afraid of being judged <laughs> well okay so so why did you um move to the bay area you just needed to expand yeah i needed to get out of santa barbara and Galita. it was just i don't know a lot of my friends, my close friends moved, but then I was there and it was like the culture is just stifling. There's not enough happening for, you know, somebody my age and my things. I can, I can stay there and it'd be like, you know, a big fish in a little pond, but I wanted to stir it up and just get out. So I moved up to the bay and um, then it was like, I'm a tiny fish and like a huge bowl. And that was one of the frustrating things though, too, is like, DJing up here was hard to get my foot in the door. And it still is with anybody like who's already established. Because there's dudes who've been around and doing it since they were young. So they know everybody. So a lot of times it's like, who are you? And it's like, you know, like, I don't have a crew. I don't have a name. You know, I don't have anything. I don't. It's like, you know, on the DJ flyers, there's always like affiliated with this crew or like this thing. And it's like, I don't have, I've been doing this like practically on my own, like the whole time, you know, once I moved out of Santa Barbara, it's like my, my support structure and people I know was gone. And so it was just really tough to like start up in a city. And I'm, that's one of the things is too, talking about like my hip hop credentials, it's like, I don't play that game where I like, I'm not going to like push this ego out or like, Oh yeah, I'm so down. Like, Oh yeah, I'm way better than that guy. You know, that's just not me at all. You know, I had a friend of mine tell me that once who's like pretty successful artist. And so she kind of has to have some, like, you know, an opinion and a, like, and she said that she's like, you're too nice. She's like, you're not an asshole enough to be successful <laughs> and it was like ouch that kind of hurts but i guess you know i just gotta do me 
Yeah, it's really sad, but it's true. And it also matters what you measure success by. You yeah. know, if success oh. is measured by how many records you have in your basement, <laughs> you win, yeah. sucker. No, there's, I know other dudes, like a lot of those older successful dudes around town are still doing it. They have like bigger collections than I do, but that doesn't matter, you know. Those guys, you know, some of those guys I'm down with, but it's still tough. Even those guys, like, you know, they, like, God, it'd be nice to PJO those guys, but it just doesn't happen. Because I, I am, I guess maybe that's one of the crutches, too, is I've always been so solo that it's hard for me, you know, to DJ out there with people who, you know. But now it's not so bad. I'm down. It's hard. Sometimes I want to DJ with people who are, like, better than me. But it's like, you know, why would they let me well, DJ with Don't you have a little bit of, like, control issues as far as, like, controlling the scene and the mood? And, like, in a, uh, in a collective, you can't really have that control. Like, not really the scene and the mood. Maybe, like, the sound. Well, <laughs> I have control yeah. issues with the sound. I'm, that's one of the things is why I'm not successful, though, too, is I am such a bad self-promoter. I am such a bad promoter, period. It's like, I've always been that dude doing the thing over there in the corner room, and I've never been that thing where, you know, it's like, oh, well, I, I'd make these mixes and stuff like that, and I'd play these records, and I'd love them, you know, and I sound like, I feel like I'm doing pretty good, you know, it sounds, mix sounds good. Um, and then some other guys would do it, <laughs> playing the same songs I was, and people would be like, oh my God, have you heard these guys? And it'd be like, that's what I do. God damn it. But I'm, I've, you kind of get a little bit of like twinges of like, you know, somebody like poking you or like twisting that knife. But once you're kind of older too, you're just like, whatever. I'm kind of too young to play that game and pursue that. It's too late, but you know, I still love it and I'm still going to do it. And that's, I think really what counts. Yeah, it totally is what counts. And I yeah. mean, DJing is such a small part of what you actually do. Like the process, the the collecting, the digging, all of that yeah. like totally com comes together. And like when I said like you were you were controlling, I was talking about like I remember you like taking over a party and rocking it hard <laughs> and nobody asked you to or told you to, but you knew what needed to happen and you did it. Yeah. So I sometimes I won't. I'll be like, no, I need to not like be like that. But then I'll regret it later on too, though. Be like, oh yeah, yeah. There's been a few times. <laughs> I remember this one time. <laughs> we threw a party at a friend's warehouse, and um, this one dude who I'm totally homies with now, and I DJ with sometimes, was playing like really cool stuff. Like you could tell, like this guy collected records, and he has a great collection of music, and he was playing like kind of more like an art opening collection though like playing some down tempo stuff and some like cool things records i love but i could tell people were like anxious they wanted to fucking you know they wanted to shake an ass maybe theirs maybe somebody else's <laughs> and so i totally had to go muscle them off this is one of like how i kind of met the dude when i was like hey hey buddy you know i'm gonna get on right now so just one more record in the Right afterwards, I started playing like some New Orleans bounce music and just the place fucking ignited <laughs> and everybody was going crazy. And I look over at him and like he looks over at me <laughs> and it was one of those like, oh, like I was it was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs>
I'm so sorry. You knew what needed to be done, and you did yeah. it. But he he totally understood too, and we're homies to this day. You know, and it's funny. It was fun. So tell but me, yeah, listen to your instinct. Tell me, a, tell me another like story like that, like about what you're doing currently. Like you're DJing at radio in Oakland a lot. Right? Yeah, I have a couple monthly gigs, um, and then random pickup ones where I have a fourth. Saturdays at Radio, which is in downtown Oakland. And then First Fridays, which is really fun with a couple friends of mine um, at the Nightlight. And that one's really rad, too, because that's with a friend of mine. Um, and she is dope. Like, I remember when I first saw her DJ, I think she was just kind of like getting into it. She was playing all this electro, like hip hop stuff from the uh, 80s. And I was like, what, like, who the fuck are you? Like, you're playing some Miami bass, you know, like electro rap stuff. And I was just like up in her grill, like, who are you? You know, and I was, I think I was really vibing her like a little bit too much, you know, because she actually had a friend of ours just kind of come and be like, hey, give her some space. Because I was like, <laughs> you know, I can't believe you're playing these records. Because <laughs> nobody played that stuff. And then, you know, ever since then, it's like we've seen each other around and she's seen me DJ. And, and then finally, after a while, we've DJed a few parties years ago. And now we're doing this thing. She asked me to come in with her on first Fridays and play. Um, and so we totally have a fun, fun time. And it's rad. She plays a lot of the same stuff I'm into. She plays a lot of the same stuff, different songs, which is really cool, which is kind of a rad thing to have with somebody who we, we have a lot of the same likes but we don't play the same song, so we're not overlapping super hard, which is really great. And where and do you really where do you guys play that? Um, on at the, the first, first Fridays at the Nightlight, which is in Jack London Square in Oakland. And so there, her and her dude are there from happy hour on, and then I show up usually around nine, and then we just trade off. It's super duper fun. And last time it was great. It was raining, but there was a ton of people out, and we had the dance floor going all night long, which was really good. Yeah. Do you feel yeah. like Do you feel like you're starting to get your find your niche in Oakland? Are you down with the spot? Kind of. I think I'm totally down with that spot. The owner is like a super rad guy. They want me to do another night there, but the vibe isn't quite what I like. I want to find somewhere where I it's a better fit. Like, you know, they re totally respect what I do there. But I need to find somewhere that kind of like, kind of fits a little bit better with the crowd that comes in, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally. And it's like, there's other, all these other things. I want to find somewhere like, I'm at that point now too, where I can like be like, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. You know, people will ask me to do things and I can be like, you know, I, I'm not going to do it because I'm not. Like, I don't want to burn myself out, which I've totally done. DJing, like, every week at the same spot by myself, you know? So four hours by myself, and it's just, like, you get burnt out. So comboing up with people helps. Sometimes it's, like, I, I actually love those four hours, though, being able to, like, really go somewhere with people. It's, like, you know, I can take them anywhere, like, I want in that four hours, as long as, like, the vibe's good, you know? To me, as long as the vibe's good. How can and, you tell if the vibe is good? Like, what's your, what's your cue? Man, you just kind of have to feel it. 
it's really weird because I've seen a lot of DJs just not at all. Just uh, staring recently, at a computer screen or something. Yeah. Recently, I saw this one DJ. I recognize his name. Like, he's been around DJing in the Bay Area for since the 90s, you know? And he's there playing records for himself all night long. Like, maybe sometimes people react to what he's playing, but he's not really paying attention to the mood of the room. So maybe I think that's one of the things that helps me with my eclectic taste is that, like, I can... I have something for everybody or I have something for most of the people. Like I have a, songs that I like that, you know, a good amount of people in here will enjoy. I'm not just playing one thing, you know, for four hours. Like I could play hip hop for four hours, but I wouldn't want to, you know? Yeah. And so I totally, you know, if I can, I'll take people on a total journey. You know, I'm going from point A to point B and maybe I know some some signposts in between, but sometimes, you know, I've been lately I've been trying to do it sort of a little bit more on the fly. Like I'll pull I'll pull up a bunch of records, I'll pull up a bunch of songs, like, okay, these are the ones I want to play. Um, but then how I get from one to the other is kind of like I kind of pull that off on the fly, which feels good. Sometimes you can set yourself up for disaster because you're like you know, this song's ending and I don't know what I'm playing next. And I, holy shit, I gotta, I gotta put some on. And then you throw something on and it's just like. <sighs> but sometimes you're like, you know, totally pulling it off. How do you how do you get to know your records and your music? If you have so much, how do you get to know it well enough to like build yeah. build sets like that? It's that's really, really hard because I, you know, I have these songs that I play all the time. <laughs> I play them too much, you know, but also too, it's like, I'm digging for all this stuff and I play things that people sometimes just aren't ready for. Or the crowd isn't ready for. So you have to have sort of a balance of something. Somebody's familiar with it enough to bring them in, but then you have to like not change it so much to where you'll lose somebody's interest. And so you want to have a bit of a familiarity. Like that's one of the things is people a lot of times who aren't deep into music just want to hear something they know. They want they want to be comforted. They want to know that what's happening. They want to not have any, you know, surprises. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to be touched <laughs> intimately. <laughs> <laughs> they want to hear that same thing they've heard a thousand times and they want to sing it with their friend and, you know. Do you cater to that at all, or do you just say, screw you? <laughs> Usually, no, I don't. Um, there is an art to requesting. There is an art to it. Explain. And some people rarely know how to do it well. If I'm playing a certain type of music, you don't come up to me and ask me to play some completely other type of music. <laughs> if I'm playing, playing hip-hop song, you don't come up to me and request hey, could you play some rap music? And you're just like, what the fuck is your problem? You know, like, you know, go away. <laughs> right. Or, you know, just where I was DJing at the nightlight and some dude, like, requested, like, I don't remember, like, I think Serena was DJing too and she was playing some funk stuff and some guy was like, 
you know, hey, could you play some like Slipknot or something? And it was just like, what? And I totally laid into this guy and I felt really bad about it afterwards because it totally hurt his feelings. I hurt some dude's feelings. I was like, I laughed in his face. I was like, are you fucking serious? Like, no, <laughs> no. Why did he ask for like, I don't know, something bad. And I was like, no. And I was like, here, let me explain this to you, how it's done. And he was just like not having it. He was like hella butt hurt. <laughs> so what's the proper way for all the people out there listening who aren't DJs? Okay. So this is how you do it. Break it you down. You have to have, hopefully have a familiarity with the sound that the DJ is playing. If they're playing a certain type of music, it works best if they can fit that music into there. Because what a DJ is doing, hopefully, if they're matching beats or just you know, on a certain journey, they're pulling things that are familiar to each other, if not beats wise, you know, melody, or just sort of the sound. So they're trying to make a cohesive picture. And if you throw in something and be like, hey, play this, that doesn't go with that cohesive picture. It's insulting sometimes and kind of rude. But if you're like, ooh, he's playing this song, and it reminds me of this song. I like this song. Could you play this song? And they're like, oh, that is a good request. That would go really well with this. You know, I will totally do that. I remember there was this one time I was playing at for with a friend in Santa Barbara. And some girls come in. And it was like somebody was getting married or something. And it was like, you know, like having a good time. And I'm playing some cool electro stuff. And this girl comes up and she's like, could you play? And I was just like, oh, shit, here it comes. And she's like, could you play some Crystal Castles? And I was like... Yes. I was like, yes, yes, I will. I would love to play that. And I like play. I have like a Crystal Castles medley that I've put together where I just like layer a bunch of Crystal Castles. And then she comes up and requests another thing. And I was like, oh, of course, that goes perfectly with this. I will play that. So so it's like instead of no requests, just like proper requests. Exactly. A lot of DJs are like, no requests. And I'm like, no. I will totally take a request if it's good. <laughs> if it fits into the palette. Yeah, sometimes people will come up and request something and I'll be like, fuck, you know, that's, it won't fit in now, but it'll fit in later. You know, hopefully you're around because I'll play that later, but not now. You know. What, it, what happens when DJs are like set up in those big booths with like plexiglass around them? <laughs> I don't know. It's a big party. <laughs> what happens when they throw cake in your face? <laughs> oh, Steve Aoki. That seemed like it's pretty fun. I wouldn't appreciate it. <laughs> okay, so I have another question for you before we start wrapping it up. Um, yeah. I want you to talk to people who are considering like getting into DJing or collecting records. Like, What, what, what kind of advice do you have? What's some heartfelt realness? Like trueness of what you do like the burden and the love etc um that's a tough one sometimes the collecting records i want to warm people away from it because it is like it can be consuming and it's like you're just buying a bunch of stuff and like moving <laughs> moving is so hard like records are really heavy <laughs> and it's, it's, it's tough to do and it can encompass your whole life you know you could lose friends over it or like definitely lose like food or lots of things but if you got to really be true to yourself 
if you love music and you love finding things and you're like you want to hear those things that maybe other people missed i totally suggest doing it do you think yeah. it's possible to make a living at being a dj and a dj at oh like for the yeah. love it is it is it's really really hard work the main thing is really self-promotion if you're really good it really helps but if you can promote yourself that is like you know one third to half of that battle just promotion huh yeah and connections if you're in the right place at the right time you know you're golden but it's like there's like i feel i can dj better than you know half the djs out there um but it doesn't really matter you know it doesn't matter to me anymore because those guys are doing something completely different than i am though too you know and it's like i just i've had chances maybe to dj things but it's like i don't want to really compromise like what i feel you know too much just to get success you know totally. like i don't want to play the shitty some shitty music i'm not into you know just to get paid which is hard though too i think maybe that's one of the reasons maybe why i haven't been too successful is because i love so much different stuff and so it's harder to put me in a category you know yeah people can't be like oh just call inti for this certain type of music because well, actually flip it people can because they can be like oh you know you can do this other people couldn't do that you know they'll be like you know you can you can play some rock stuff or you can play some down tempo stuff you can play some funk stuff you know you can play some electro stuff so sometimes people like oh yeah i got this one night doing this thing you want to come out and play some of those records and be like Hell yeah, you know, but what I really love to do is just, you know, to play what's, what's good, which changes a lot, but, um, yeah, what were we talking about? <laughs> just <laughs> advice. <laughs> now back to me. Let's talk some more about me. <laughs> it's okay, because guess what? This show is about you, DJ Inti, <laughs> but I really just wanted to like, try to, I don't know, I've, I've mentored um, youth before on DJing yeah. and stuff like that. And I just really want to try to like give them some seeds, some food for thought from you who's like been doing it for a long time. Yeah, really, if it's like if you love it, don't stop, you know, and it can be hard sometimes, but it's always rewarding in its own self. You know, music is always rewarding to me. And it's always, you know, and it's always going to be there. Oh, man, especially like through your teenage years and stuff like that. It's like sometimes, you know, your friends hate you, you hate your friends, the world hates you, you hate the world, but music will always be there for you. Aww. Or food. Or, or sleep. <laughs> you know, other crutches. But music, really, you know. Has, has music saved your life a couple of times? Oh, yeah, totally. Especially during those, like, really, like, depressing teenage years, you know. It's like those times when I was a kid who I told you when I pulled the speakers up to my head and use them it was like those were like moments that were just it was nothing was happening in the world besides what was coming through those speakers like everything was gone i didn't think about anything i wasn't worried about anything 
I wasn't hungry. You know, I was just like listening to what was happening, listening to those vibrations. Mm. So if you love it, you know, keep it up.